Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. The title of my message this morning is Experiencing God is to Know Him. Experiencing God is to Know Him. I'm going to give some foundational scriptures here. And so the first one is Philippians 3, 8 through 10. And it's in the New Living Translation. Yes, everything else is worthless. Oh, when I compare with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For him, his sake, I have discarded everything and counted it all garbage. Paul had a lot to take credit for because of all his lineage and what he boast, could boast about. But he said, I counted all loss. I counted all refuge. I counted all garbage. So that I could gain Christ and become, so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness. How many know that? We are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not ours, his righteousness. Amen. And all these things will be added to you. Okay, said, I no longer can count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, but rather I, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Amen. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Amen. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. He wanted that intimacy. And you know what? He wasn't overly concerned about what kind of suffering. He said, count it all joy. Amen. This guy was different. But he had an intimate relationship with God. He had that, that one track with God where there was not just a one way. It was a, it was a monologue or dialogue, rather, in communication and prayer. Proverbs 9.10, Proverbs 9.10, in the Amplified Bible says, the reverent fear of the Lord, that is worshiping him and regarding him as truly awesome, is the beginning and the preeminent part of wisdom. Some translations say it's the foundation. It's the chiefest part. If you want to become wise in your walk in life with Jesus, this scripture is a real key. Amen. It's the foundation for it. Having a reverential fear of God. And some people say, no, 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 no. Fear is, that's Old Testament. It doesn't belong in the New Testament. We're not to fear God. We're only to love him. Read your Bible. <laughs> Read your Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And I could give you a lot of scriptures on that, but I won't go into it. But the fear of the Lord, reverence, and it's not a fear of, of 
afraid that he's going to beat you up or get mad at you or anything. It's a fear that is so beautiful because of the envelopment of his love. You have no desire to displease him. And it keeps you from sinning. That's the foundation for wisdom. And then it goes on to say, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding and spiritual insight. I'd like to become more understanding. I'd like to have more spiritual insight. Well, I find in my Bible that it says the more you have knowledge of God, the Holy One, the greater becomes your understanding. So it's so simple. Let's, let, let's take that. I want to be a person of understanding. I want to be a person of wisdom and knowledge. God, I want to know more about you. Wisdom and understanding. Knowledge of the Holy One brings understanding and spiritual insight. Psalm 27 and verse 4. This is something about King David. And listen carefully to this. King David said, and you know, I mean, he could, he had so much opportunity to make choices and to have desires and so on. And this is what he says. One thing, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. What is that one thing? What do you think that one thing is that David desired and said, this one thing I'm going to seek? And he said, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life for a purpose. He said, to behold the beauty of the Lord. One thing, one desire, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He had a desire to learn more about God. He had a desire to increase his understanding and his wisdom and his knowledge And the one thing that was his desire, it was a passion, and it kept moving him forward. He always wanted to get all the things. He was a king. He was a great warrior. He was out uh, mighty in in, in battle. And this is the one thing that he said, I've got to have this. I've got to have this. One thing I've desired, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. And that speaks about his presence. His presence that I may behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Learn more about him. Learn more about his ways. Learn more about his acts. Learn more about him and all he is. That was his desire. Then we read in Acts 13.22. Acts 13.22 is um, another one that's really, really good. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And what else does he say about him? He said, he 
will do everything I want him to do. Some translations say, he will fulfill all my will. All of it. That's David. That's David. Now, I have a clear reason for sharing this message today. Number one would be, it embraces our personal relationship with God, or excuse me, enhances. It enhances, when you check that word out, it's a great word. It enhances our personal relationship with God because it's about him. Secondly, it enhances sound doctrine, the solid foundation. Paul was so importantly uh, understanding and communicating on the importance of doctrine because in the book of Romans, it's broken out. The first chapters are doctrine, doctrine. Then it's, na- it's, it's, do- it's doctrinal, and then it's national, and then it's practical. In his writings of the book of Ephesians and both Colossians, the first half of both books is doctrine, and the second half is practical application. A lot of people are going around trying to do practical application, but they can't do it because they don't have a solid foundation in the doctrine. And people say, no, it's not doctrine, it's relationship. You can't toss out doctrine. Doctrine will teach you the importance of following and developing relationships. So the second one is enhances sound doctrine. That's our foundation. And the third one is it enhances protection from deception of heresy and false doctrine. And that's the reason for this. I want to share with you as quickly as I can here five character qualities or main attributes of God. If knowing the Holy One of Israel, knowledge of Him brings understanding, let's learn more about Him. Let's know this Holy One of Israel. Okay, God's major attribute is the fact that the Word of God says He is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus' prayer, high priestly in prayer in John 17, he was praying to the Father and he said, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Amen. So every other doctrine, excuse me, every other attribute of God is clearly expressed and established by what the truth says about him. He's eternal. The truth tells us that. He's omnipresent. The truth tells us that. He's omniscient. The truth tells us that. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. The truth tells us that. And he's all kinds of things. It's what the truth says. And Jesus said, if you follow on to know me, or if you abide or you maintain your progressive experience and walk with me, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? It'll set you free. A lot of people quote that scripture, the truth will set you free. Know the truth and set you free. You can't know it without really knowing Jesus. Without knowing Jesus. John 14, 6, I gave you that scripture already, quoted it, and John 17, 17, I gave you that one. The second 
main attribute is what I call, the first one is God's major attribute, the truth, and the second one is God's manifested attribute because that's light. The Bible says that Jesus, amen, and and it says that, rather that God, God is light. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's a powerful thing that light does. And when we go back into the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the very first thing that God ever spoke that's recorded, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the the darkness. The Holy Spirit was hovering and moving, and God said something. He said, let there be light. Let there be light. And out of that light, everything else. And then he said, and God, the Bible says, God separated the light from the darkness. We are children of light, not children of darkness. We're to be separated from darkness. Light, light, it reveals. Light brings illumination. But light also exposes sin and brings conviction through the power of the Holy Spirit. God demonstrated his light through the Holy Spirit in in bringing in illumination and so on, revealing the truth of his word, giving direction, etc. Ephesians 5.13 on this one. Ephesians 5.13, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Whatever makes manifest is light. The second one is Luke 8.17. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither is anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad or come to the light. And then John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Psalm 119, 130, this is a great one. The unfolding of your glorious words give light. Wow, I love that one. The unfolding of your glorious words give light. Their unfolding gives understanding to the simple, to the childlike. Oh, what powerful scriptures. I'm going to now go to the third one, the third attribute of God. This is what I call God's greatest moral attribute. Even the systematic theology books call it his greatest moral attribute. And that of his holiness. That of his holiness. Because he is the holy one, God's holiness means that he is absolutely separated from sin and evil, and he is totally devoted to the good of his own glory. Now, are we supposed to be holy? 
as God's kids, God's people, God's family. It says, be holy for I am holy. What that means to us, we're to be absolutely separated from sin and evil. And we're to be totally devoted to God. Totally devoted for God, for his purposes. That's the plan in the heart of God. John 14, 7 and 8. Behold, John 14, 7 and 8. Excuse me, I'm sorry. It's John 4. I'm sorry, guys. John 4, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For, wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. It's my fault. You can tell that I don't preach every week. <laughs> I, I, I still love to get in the pulpit when God wants it done. Okay. We've got to have... 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. 1 Peter 1, 15. There we go. But we have, but as he who called us is holy, Amen. you also be holy in all of your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Amen. And then Isaiah 6, 3. Isaiah 6, 3. And all the way through the scripture, you find numerous occasions where people are re referring to him as holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah had this amazing vision and prophetically he declared, and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts who, who the, the, the whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. That's God's greatest moral attribute. The next one is what I call God's greatest motivating attribute. And you know what this one is probably. God's motivating attribute is his love. Because God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God, and known, knows God, rather, knows God. Knows that? Everyone who loves knows God. If we are not loving our brother, we're not loving God. God's motivating, motivating attribute is his love. So it goes on to say, he who does not love God does not know God, for God is what? God is what? Come on, tell me. God is love. Yes. Okay. John 3, 16 and 17. Wow. What a picture of God's grace and his love. You know, I think that the, 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 the grace of God is the most beautiful representation or demonstration or exhibit of how much God loves the world and loves us. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his only Son, begotten Son, so that 
whoever believes and trusts in him, I'm going to give a shorter version to keep moving along here. <laughs> whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. And they said, for God didn't come into the world to condemn it. God doesn't condemn the world. He condemns sin, but not the world. He loves the world. And we need to be a people who understand that God's motivation of love or anything that God does will never violate any of his attributes. A lot of people don't understand that. And they talk about God's love. Oh, oh, that's okay. God, God loves people. God loves you. It's okay. God will never violate his principle of holiness or his attribute of holiness, his standard of holiness. He will never violate that. So anything that God does in love does not violate that biblical standard. And without an understanding of God, we can't have an understanding of sin. As we understand God, we know how he views this, and we know that he's separate from it, and we know that he's devoted to his own good and his own glory, and he wants us to follow in his footsteps and to be like him. And so we can't mess around with worldly things and things that are violating the Bible, the principles of God's word, we need to maintain, yes, we need to maintain love, but we also need, and I'll give you a scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, therefore, let us cleanse, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in what? The fear of God. Perfecting holiness. You see, when we're declared righteous, that's the same as we're justified by faith, Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification is like justified, never sinned. That's the way God looks at us. Just if we'd never, just if we'd never sinned. And that's once and for all. It's not something we grow in. We are as just the day we were made just as, you know, from there on. And that doesn't change. But our holiness is more of a progressing thing, like sanctification. Sanctification is past, present, and future, like our salvation. We were saved, we're being saved, and we shall be saved. Some people think the soul is totally saved. No, it's not. The spirit is totally saved. The soul is progressively being saved as we allow God to work in our mind, will, and emotions. That soul is in the process of being saved and being sanctified. Sanctification is past, present, and future, and it's instantaneous, and it's progressive, and it's ultimate. That's the way it all works together. So, that's the way it kind of ties together here. I'm going to give you the God's, God's love is agape, agapeo, agape, and it describes his primary motive or attitude for his actions. It is unconditional, constant, giving, and always seeks the welfare of all. 
Isn't that the way God wants us to be too? <laughs> That's God. Let me get you the last one now as we try to wrap this up. The last one is God's greatest stabilizing attribute is his immutability. His immutability. That means this attribute, God is absolutely and eternally unchanging in his being, unchanging in his perfection, unchanging in his uh, purposes, and unchanging in his promises. He will not change. Now, he may change his mind, as there's a proof of that in the Bible. He told Jonah to go and preach and going to destroy the city. And he preached and they repented and God, God changed his mind on it. But that never changes who he is. It didn't change his perfection. It didn't change his purpose. It didn't change his, his, his promises. And so we need to bank on the stabilizing factor that God is absolutely, eternally unchanging in his being, perfection, purposes, and promises. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. I don't change. Boy, what security. What security. That allows us to understand that all of these attributes, these major wonderful things about God that we appreciate, we're guaranteed that it'll always be that way. It'll always be that way. We can count on it. It's not like the weather. It's not like the stock market. It's not like the politics, the political field. We can always bank on it. Always bank on it. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and forever. And Hebrews 6.17 and 19 gives another one about these immutable things that, that we have a, an, uh, uh, this hope and anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. And it enters into the presence of God. Oh, wow. I'm excited about Jesus. I love Jesus, and I know you do too. And I just want to wrap this up now, a conclusion. May we really experience God by knowing him. May we really experience God by knowing him. Not just, there's a song, I'm not going to try to sing it, okay? <laughs> uh, I don't think Pastor Steve would be too happy with that. <laughs> it's an oldie one, but not moldy, okay? It says, only to know him, only to know him is the prayer of my heart. Not just in a measure, but in his fullness. This, O oh Lord, is the cry of my heart. Let me say it again. Only to know him, only to know him is the prayer within my heart. Not just in a measure, but in his fullness. This, O oh Lord, is the cry of my heart. I want you to remember the Apostle Paul's passion this one thing was David's, but Paul said, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death. And David's one thing 
One thing, remember King David's one thing. One thing I've desired of the Lord, and I'm going to seek after it, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord, because that brings me understanding. Knowing more about him brings me understanding of who he is and his purposes, the way he works and all of that. And he has begun a good work in all of us, and he will perform it. He will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. And another scripture says, to, Paul said, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. This New Testament. For it is God who is in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. I'm thankful for that. It's not just a matter of us struggling. It's God in us enabling us. In fact, one of the definitions of grace is the divine enablement to desire the will of God and the power to do it. That's God's grace. So we're going to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who's working in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's doing a great thing. We're part of the great family of God. We're a, we're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We belong to God. We have direct access into the Holy of Holies. We can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help when we really need it the most. We are privileged. We've got a Christian advantage. Our light can, our face can shine with the glory of God. And God wants us to be more concerned about looking at his shining face than looking at his open hand. The more we look on his shining face to see the beauty of him, who he is, we will experience more of the opening of his hand to just pour out blessings, blessings, blessings. Amen. Father, let's pray. Thank you in Jesus' name. You're so good, God. Thank you in Jesus' name. We pray that we might really know you personally, have that intimate knowledge of you. We just pray, God, that you would touch every person here. You know each person's need. You know if there's anyone here today, God, who's never really experienced the joy of being born again into your family. That can happen today. Perhaps there are people here who have walked with you but have become wayward, not really pursued you and followed you. Forgive, forgive, forgive God. Restore, bring back into fellowship God. And any others who are already walking with God, we want to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want the work of your Holy Spirit to continue to work in our lives, conforming us to the image of the Son of God, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. You're raising up a vast family of sons and daughters who are going to bear the image of the Son of God. Father, you're doing a great job, and we're a part of that. Help us in our walk with you to resemble you and to represent you to a lost and dying world 
that needs Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 